This is the International Education Marketing Podcast, a roundup of news stories and how they might impact marketing and recruiting for the international education sector. I'm your host, Daniel Chatham, and this is episode 74 of the International Education Marketing and Recruitment Podcast. Our guests are... Annalyn Campaign. Quintessence Townsend. Thanks for being here. I'm really excited to have you here at the end of season three, and looking forward to seeing the interesting stories that you've brought. Annalyn, why don't you start us? Sure. So I found an article in from Inside Higher Ed titled, Ex-Dean at Temple Convicted. Um, the article talks about the conviction of... Moshe Porat, who was the dean of Fox Business School over at Temple University in Philadelphia. And back in 2018, it was uh, uncovered that he had falsified data given to U.S. News and World Report um, for ranking purposes. And, um, you know, at the time, Temple's uh, online MBA program was uh, ranked number one by U.S. News and World Report for four years in a row starting in 2015, obviously based on false information. And so recently he was convicted um, the, the indictment that was given to him said that there was a direct correlation between that ranking and the uh, online enrollment at Temple. So um, back in 2013, the, the school was ranked number 28 and it enrolled 70 students during that time in their online MBA. And in 2015, once it had been ranked number one, it enrolled 198 students. So clearly that, that ranking had a, quite a big effect on the number of students enrolled in the program. And now that this has been un- unveiled, uncovered, um, it's ranked 100 out of more than 300 schools. So clearly there is um, a correlation there. Um, so the reason that I brought this up is because there has been you know, already some criticism about the validity of college rankings in the past. And this kind of serves an, as an example of you know, how the process can really be quite corrupt and, and not um, genuine. So the most important thing you know, that we want to do as marketers and recruiters is to find a school that students... Um, you know, that is the best fit for students. And I think that in a lot of cases that relying on rankings doesn't necessarily allow for that in a, in a very authentic way. So um, I think we maybe start, we'll start to see a shift away from rankings uh, moving forward. It's an interesting article. Uh, I worked at Temple University in the Fox School of Business from 2001 to 2005. And I worked with this dean. So I have some insight about this particular circumstance it's not a surprise that it's where it is, um, but we'll talk a little bit more about the yeah. implications on the other side. Mm-hmm. Quintessence, what article did you find? So my article comes from the Professionals in International Education, Pi for short, and essentially the President's Alliance on Higher Education and Immigration, um, which is a non-affiliated, uh, not affiliated with the government. Um, they're launching a new pr- program called the Response Program. Refugee Sponsorship for Education, and essentially they seek to create this uh, double-sided benefit for refugee refugees, so they can gain access to higher education while also um, having access to a lawful legal way of gaining permanent residence and citizenship, and this entails um, potentially creating a new visa, the P-4 visa, which specifically allows students to enter the university through a university um, sponsorship program. Um, and through this program, refugees are going to gain, I guess, access to uh, local partnerships with faith groups or local businesses. Um, and the 
they act as a way to provide financial, logistical, and inter integration support for refugees. The President's Alliance is also moving towards uh, submitting recommendations for the F-1 visa to accommodate refugees better. So currently the uh, visa process for refugees is not the best. And between the students and the government agencies and the university sponsorships, it's really a challenge to get uh, refugees enrolled into higher education in the U.S. Okay, thank you. Well, these are uh, really different articles about uh, <laughs> very uh, different components of international education. So I guess we'll zoom back out and, and ask the question, the guiding question this week is, what happens in the world of marketing and, and recruitment if these things are part of a longer trend? Yeah, I think in, in my case, at least, I was thinking about kind of two different ways that I could see this go moving forward. One is that either university administrators and other, you know, deans reporting um, information, you know, recognize that there are consequences to the falsifying information and, you know, will make a conscious effort to be more transparent. Um, and I think that the ranking organizations will also have to be held accountable for, like, the information that they are publishing. So, you know, that's a that's a that's one way that I could kind of see it going if people do want to keep relying on these rankings is that they will have to be more truthful. Um, and the other way that I could see it shifting is that, you know, just kind of a shift away from college rankings as a whole. I think people might start to realize if they haven't already that um, these rankings aren't necessarily true in all cases. And the second thing that I can kind of see happening um, is just a general shift away from using college rankings as a part of the decision to attend a particular university. Um, you know, I think people might might start to question uh, the, the validity of these rankings and realize that they may not be um, great measurements of, of a school's um, genuine success or not. Um, and so I think they might at least look at them with a more healthy dose of skepticism moving forward as far as, you know, placing as much value on them moving forward. So I think those two kind of paths are what I foresee happening as marketers or recruiters. I think it'll be important that, you know, we are making sure first that the information that we are providing is 100% accurate and that can't be questioned. Um, and then also just a genuine, a, a general focus on fit for the student as an individual rather than um, spouting these statistics that may not be relevant to a lot of people. Yeah, I think another implication, I personally am not guess fully on board with ranking systems. They do have some potential benefit, mm -hmm. but I think one implication would be moving away from, from those traditional forms of measurement, since ranking systems don't always measure the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, moving away from like standardized testing scores and more towards like social mobility for like low-income students, and um, they're an underrepresented population and often targeted in college admissions and whatnot, and probably more towards I guess student-centered DEI focus. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think a lot of times the rankings uh, really focus on prestige or just, you know, reputation. Um, and so I think knowing that in, in all the cases it's not necessarily information that is true um, might at least help people realize that reputation isn't always true, <laughs> that there are other ways to measure, you know, a college's benefits to them as a student. Well, that's, uh, those are all important ideas and reactions to this, and I think I, I definitely agree with both of you. One thing that strikes me, though, is that if I'm a publisher of one of these rankings, it's a valuable piece of my business to do these rankings. Mm -hmm. And so with today's 
greater sensitivity to social mobility or diversity, equity, and inclusion activities, I might actually see that as yet another ranking to create. Mm -hmm. So I might start to ask data on uh, social mobility and outcomes based on, on, on transformative socioeconomic factors, and then I create a ranking. So what is what happens then is that the people that are at the universities who get to fill out the forms have an incentive to put their best information forward. And so the specific ranking might change, but the fact is there will still be another ranking. Mm -hmm. So I, I agree completely that people misunderstand and misuse rankings in their own personal choices about where to go to school. It's incredibly frustrating as an admissions and recruiting person to have somebody say to me, I want to go to school A, B, and C. Why? Because they're the top three of this field. Mm -hmm. Not because they're my best choices, but because they're ranked by some independent agency, or not agency, just a publication, on some list someplace and the student has no idea what the data actually represents. I think it's an incredible injustice, uh, and that rankings, unfortunately, can't be held accountable for the misuse um, of the system, the misuse of the system by the administrators, or in this case, uh, the folks in your story, and the misuse of the rankings by end consumers, the students and their families. Quintessence, long-term implications <laughs> of your article on refugees and access to education. Okay, so um, the first one is probably potential increase in the number of refugees enrolled in higher education. Um, as of 2019, it was about 1%. Um, in 2021, we reached 5%, but this still lags way behind the global average of 39%. So if theoretically more programs similar to what um, the U.S. is launching are, are implemented in more countries, there would probably be um, more refugees enrolled um, into higher education institutions. Um, and I think it, it would also set the groundwork for future uh, crisis responses. So refugees can include um, people that are displaced because of war, but also with the um, growing, issue, growing issue of climate change, um, there are climate change refugees, and also refugees that are, I guess, born out of um, national and international financial crises. So with programs like these, it's, um, I guess, a potential way of helping these people resettle into a new environment um, more effectively than before, and also potentially um, combating some of the negative impacts that they might deal with, like discrimination, um, lack of access to uh, language uh, teaching, for example. Can I ask what the, the timeline is for, I know you were saying that they were considering a new visa status and that seems like something that would be way down the road. I'm just wondering if you saw anything in the article about when they expect these changes to be made. Mm -hmm. So right now it's in the launching phase. Um, they're currently only looking at enrolling 150 refugees. So right now this P4 visa is like a, just a recommendation. Mm -hmm. So obviously if it went through, this would have some implications for people working in ISSS mm -hmm. and having to like update themselves on a new um, like visa and it's going over the regulations for that um, but right now it's just in the launching phase so probably in the years to come gotcha. assuming it, it goes through that's probably when the impact impact is going to hit 
from a marketing and recruiting standpoint, I wonder if schools might start to invest in support structures and outreach mechanisms that help this community as they have done for other smaller communities as well uh, and what those might look like. Uh, I wonder if we might see special degree programs that might be all encompassing bachelors and masters combined so you don't necessarily have to apply to both and you have an entry path into the bachelor's degree support structures to stay there and then a guaranteed admission into a master's degree if we really want to change the lives of people that have been in such difficult conditions maybe the commitment is more than just an open door maybe the commitment is a different outcome you know so rethinking the actual program for them in addition to the ways we reach out to them yeah i'm, I'm wondering like how how we would i guess find market differently like the materials that we're sending out or the communications that we're sending out it just seems like a difficult community to to nail down and to find you know in, a, in one specific area and language considerations of course and it just feels like at that point in their life they're probably going through a lot so adapting our marketing techniques to be more sensitive to those situations will be important i think it seems like more than a marketing problem project uh of course. It, it seems more like a social commitment mm-hmm. with a marketing element yeah you know right. it's a it's a much bigger take i think yeah i know well not in higher education but there are organizations that exist outside of higher ed um, I know IRC, International Res- Refugee Committee, is one, um, and they work to support refugees. Uh, refugees. So I guess in my mind, higher education institutions could probably look towards those kind of programs and implement strategies that they're using to support the refugees and work them into like their own systems and curriculum, and, like student uh, support services. Hmm. That, that represents an interesting kind of partnership. You know, what if we don't have programs that are already suitable for the folks in these circumstances? But what if we made them? Mm-hmm. And we did it in partnership with organizations that are already supporting and helping and assisting refugee populations. I think the marketing almost takes care of itself. Yeah. Because once you build special pathways and programs and then have a reputation for being a good place to go, the community will tell each other. Mm-hmm. It'll be like, how did you get where you are? Well, this is the pathway I took. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. I didn't know that that was something that was happening. Yeah. There are, I guess I would say, a growing population, unfortunately. Um, I think 2010, we had around 10 million refugees. And then by 2020, I think it doubled to almost 21 million. So mm-hmm. it's growing. Oh, wow. Now, is that from a particular type of cause, or is that all causes? Um, I think in general, but obviously most of the refugees are from Syria. Um, and then with the recent takeover of the, takeover of the Taliban, Afghanistan, also refugees coming in um, from there. And then I believe there's a crisis in Venezuela recently, so also additional refugees coming in from there. Mm-hmm. I wonder if... I ask this facetiously, but if all refugees are created equal, um, if climate refugees have a different circumstance and need than 
refugees from war-torn areas. Maybe not tremendously different, but maybe in some types of supports that they need, maybe in some types of training and education that they might benefit from. Not sure. I think that would be an interesting space to work in and to try to build and develop programs that really supported the many different types of refugees that mm. exist today and that are going to continue and grow, unfortunately. Definitely. I am in an ISSS class right now, and it just seems like a lot of the considerations that you have to make for you know students coming from different cultures, different areas, different languages, um, you'd also have to make those considerations. And a lot of the services I'm just thinking of in my head, like cultural trainings or, um, you know, just community integration, things like that would also have a lot of overlap with a, a program like this, working with refugees, just helping them feel like they are, you know, that they belong in our community and that they are welcome here and that we want them here, I think it's, it's important. So just seems like a lot of similar, you could probably work with the, the ISS's office and um, get, get a lot of info from them as far as how to, how to do those things. Anything else that you'd like to share before we wrap up? Anything else? Any uh, connections, observations, or anything else? I don't think so. I mean, like we said, we both have very different articles. Um, I think it's crazy that you <laughs> you have such a close connection with mm-hmm. uh, Temple, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. That has evolved to be an unfortunate circumstance for the school, but I'm hoping that it can move on and move forward as fast as possible. I wonder if it's had, I'm sure it has had in some regard, like a, a, a an impact on their, you know, branding a little bit as far as how they're going to rectify that situation or... Yeah, actually the students in that program uh, filed a class action lawsuit oh, and wow. then they won oh, because wow. they were defrauded uh, based on the expectations that this program would be a top-ranked program yeah. or almost top-ranked. And then uh, the, the claim is that the value of their degree has deteriorated as a result of these actions, which is true. That was settled, and this set up scholarship programs and funded some more, some more financial support for students. And then they've also changed the way they've handled data. They have a very clear and transparent process with very significant stages along the way with multiple people being involved. Uh, And they've actually done that across the entire campus. So one of the things people say is the safest time to go flying is right after a plane crash. (laughs) It's not the best analogy, but the safest data in rankings right now is probably coming out of Temple University. And it's a direct result of the house cleaning that they've gone through. Mm -hmm. Thanks for being here. I'm appreciative. I appreciate your commitment to this work and uh, to our listeners. I appreciate all of you who've contributed throughout the season. And uh, this will bring our season three to a close. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thanks for having (laughs) us. (laughs) Thank you.